Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you're going to go there again? Jesus answered, and are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of the world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to wake him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking a rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake, I am glad that I am not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us go that we may die with him. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. When she said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were in her house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. 
So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by, the time we will, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out. His hands and his feet were bound with linen and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. These are the words of our Lord. I have a feeling that Christy asked Jen to read before telling her how long the passage was. So <laughs> thank you, Jen, so much. Um, on the, the men's gathering, again, real quick, too, Amos and I were, were meeting together and um, just kind of talking about we should always, we're always kind of looking to get the men of the church together and just for the Lord to form a brotherhood. And I feel like the ladies in the church uh, have done a better job than the guys in the church in many ways of really uh, leaning towards a sisterhood and having events. And our community groups are an incredible time, but it's like we gather on Sundays, we scatter throughout the week in our community groups, but then it's good to kind of have like a bigger kind of all the guys or all the ladies. And so so we were talking and saying, well, next month uh, on December 4th is one of the gun seasons, and I think the 11th is the second one. And with Thanksgiving in the middle, it's like there'll probably be a lot of guys that are looking lady hunters as well, but there'll probably be a lot of guys who are like looking to sight in their guns. They maybe haven't shot them since last year. So we're like, let's just have an event where people can come and we'll have other, like we'll have skeet shooting and stuff. But then if shooting is not your thing, come, please come. <laughs> like, because it, that's not going to be like the only focus. That's going to be kind of a reason to get a bunch of guys together, but if you want to just come and hang out, uh, then, um, but we did have uh, a couple guys at our, we did it, we've done a shooting event before, and people were like, I had way more fun than I thought I would, so, so we'll do that, but then our, we are going to then spend time around the Word of God about having our lives cited in, and the importance of that, so, but please invite, invite people they, that you know might, might be into hunting or people that aren't into hunting that, that just, you feel like, need to know other guys and do life with other guys and lock arms together. So, uh, man, I'm, I'm grateful to be preaching today. I haven't preached since October 24th, I think. It's been two weeks ago. Kevin Oswalt led us in the Word of God last week. Justin Dean from Davenport did. And um, we're going through the book of John. And today, I feel like we've arrived on the shores of one of the majestic life-changing, truly, passages in the book of John. There are many of them. This is one of them. And to remember, we'll get to this later on in the book, but towards the end of the book, 
John actually tells us why this book of the Bible is written. And says it's written so that we would believe Jesus. And that by believing, we would have life in his name. Like that's why this book is here. That's the end goal. So even when we approach a passage of scripture in the book of John, it's like that I would have a relationship with the living Jesus And by having that relationship, I would have life in his name. And um, so chapter 11 is helping to define for us even what that means. Chapter 11 is helping us understand the one better who we are being invited to walk with, to follow, and then also what it might mean to have life in his name. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, we've got a stack of them over here. We've got scripture journals. We've mentioned that before where it's just the book of John. Every other page is blank, so you can take notes in there. Um, This will be, I think, a section of scripture that will be really fruitful to discuss in our community groups this week as we put flesh on what some of these things mean for our own lives. Uh, So this will be a great week if you haven't visited a community group yet. We've got six of them meeting tonight through, um, is Thursday night? Do we have a Thursday night group? I'm blanking all of a sudden, but definitely have a couple Wednesday night groups, a couple Tuesday night groups. So we've got six groups meeting and would love to connect you with one of those. You can connect with me or Tanner, um, but um, you can follow along. But if it be a blessing to you, we'll we'll have the, the words on the screen again and we'll walk through it uh, more slowly now. So let's jump in, jump in here and uh, Lord, I just ask that you would that you would have your way in each one of us, those who are watching online, those who are here in person, those who um, even will come across this later, that your goal for us through this passage is beyond our wildest dreams, and Lord, would we take one giant step in that direction today. Form us in how you want to form us in your word, and we give this morning to you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. All right, so verse 1 of chapter 11. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. Uh, So the sisters sent him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. So when I, I find, as I've been reading scripture for some time now, that whenever we're given setting and characters kind of in abundance, it's very intentional, and there's, there's a reason for that. So um, there's a village, Bethany, and Lazarus is in this village, Bethany, and it's by Jerusalem. And Lazarus is the brother of both Mary and Martha. And, so, and then we're told here that Martha, or that Mary was the one who went up to Jesus with very costly oil and wiped her, her hair Uh, with the oil on his feet. The disciples thought it was an extravagant waste of money. Jesus didn't. And uh, what's interesting is that that hasn't even been told yet in the book of John. That's actually to come. So John will tell that story later, but it's such a well-known story in the early church that 
uh, scholars believe that it's referred to here, even if it hasn't been taught yet in the book, because people already know that story. Um, chronologically, it hasn't happened yet um, as we're reading the story, but as people had the book in their hands, that had happened decades ago, and people already knew and were familiar with just how epic that story was in, in what Jesus said about, like, um, no, I'm worth that, I'm that valuable, <laughs> And he was able to actually share that. And um, one of the things, this is Mary. And we get another story in the New Testament with, with Mary and Martha and how Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus and Martha was all busy and stuff. These are the same, same people. Uh, there's a few interesting things here. Um, one of them, though, is a lot, some people, in, uh, especially if you come from a, uh, some certain traditions, will say that this is Mary Magdalene. And so I actually spent a decent amount of time this week just being like, is this Mary Magdalene, or is this another Mary? This isn't the mother of Jesus. You know, so it's like, okay, we've got several Marys here in the New Testament, and this is not Mary Magdalene, and one of the reasons to know it's not Mary Magdalene is because Magdalene is not her last name. Uh, it's Mary from Magdala, which is in the Sea of Galilee, which is way on the northern side of Israel here. So, and I think the reason they always say Mary Magdalene is because there are a few Marys that play critical roles in the life of Jesus. And so Mary Magdalene always refers to the Mary that it lives way north of here. Uh, then Mary of Bethany is this Mary. Um, another like really interesting thing that has moved me throughout thinking of this story is you have a two sisters and a brother that are all adults and they live together. You know, so like that would be kind of interesting in our culture, right? You have three adults that are all siblings, and they all live in the same house, and there's no understanding that there are any parents here. And so, um, and then, but culturally at that time, it was a lot more culturally uh, pressured for women to get married younger in life than even our culture. So I think our culture, it would be like kind of more like, oh, that's kind of cool that those siblings live together. I think what this shows us is that these three people had a hard life. There were things, I think, that happened with their parents, things I think maybe economically were happening with them that uh, I think they had to live together to survive. And so when I think of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, I'm not thinking of people like living in this really amazing house and all this stuff, I'm thinking of people probably that are like, life has been really hard for them, and, uh, but Jesus loves them. And Jesus loves spending time with them. And if you pay attention to kind of the gospels and how they're written, even in the last days of Jesus, it says he goes out to Bethany to spend the night. And so I think he's going back to hang out with Lazarus and, and the sisters as well. So, so just a, a little bit of background kind of leading up to to uh, the significance of what's happening here. And what I love is like, they tell Jesus the situation, Lazarus is ill, you love him, with the idea that the result will be Jesus heals Lazarus. You know, like, hey, I want you to know Lazarus is ill. You know, it's not just an informative thing. Their purpose is so you would make Lazarus not be ill. But then Jesus tells us he has another agenda. And Jesus tells us he has another purpose. And his purpose is that the Son of God may be glorified. So their purpose in telling Jesus about what's going on is that Lazarus will be healed. 
Jesus' purpose here is that the Son of God may be glorified. And glorify, we use that term once in a while. We, we sing those words. But, uh, but just to kind of like spend a moment, like what does Jesus mean when he says that he would be glorified through this? And so glorify, the Greek word glorify is doxa, and that comes from the Hebrew word, which is kavod. So kavod is the Old Testament word for, for glory. And what's interesting is that, that kind of word, what it really means is weight. It, it means like a heaviness, like a weight. Uh, a kavod is like a weight that is on you. So for, like, in our lives at times, we can feel the weight of, of just things not going right, right? Like you could be like, man, it looks like you're weighed down by something. Like what, what's weighing you down? You know, and it could be disappointment. It could be pain, frustration, um, hopes, you know, preoccupations. But it's like, man, there's just a weight that's on you. And what is fascinating here is that for Jesus to be glorified means that he is the weight on us. That it's like, man, Jesus is heavy on me. Like, Jesus' weight is on me. Like, that is for Jesus to be glorified. Now, when, like, pain or frustration or hopes or all these, like, all these things that can weigh us down, truly, like, weigh us down, wear us out, all these things. When Jesus weighs us down, he even tells us, like, that is light. Like, that is the only weight that can be on you, his weight, his glory, that actually lightens our life, that actually brings us up, and that actually, like, like allows us to be who we're designed to be. And so for Jesus to say, like, hey, the purpose in what you're about ready to walk through is that I would be heavy on you. My presence would be what weighs you down. My presence would be what drives, drives you to, to your knees, not all these other uh, tragedies and concerns and all that stuff. So what happens here is meant to do that. So look at verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer on purpose, just hop, skip, and a jump away. He stayed two days longer in the place where he was. So it would seem that he's doing the opposite of what they wanted him to do. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were we're just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? You're crazy to turn back. You're crazy to head towards Jerusalem. They still are wanting to kill you. And Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of the world. Jesus has told us, I am the light of the world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep but I go to awaken him. His disciples are like feeling like Jesus is making the wrong call. Um, he shouldn't be heading back to Jerusalem because of the threats that were made about him. And Jesus just isn't afraid about that stuff. He is the light of the world. It's crystal clear that he knows what he's doing. He knows the result of what he's doing. 
he needs to go and wake his friend up. Look at verse 12. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll recover. <laughs> like, don't risk your life to wake up a guy. You know, like, he will wake up. No, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him, which I think makes no sense when Thomas says that. Like, you know, Jesus is like, hey, we're going to go here, Lazarus is asleep. Well, let's, he'll just wake up. No, he's actually dead. I'm going to go wake him up. And then Thomas is like, go, let's go, we'll all die. You know, and it's just like, I don't know what you guys are picturing in your mind is happening here. Uh, like, what you are envisioning um, is just not what's going on. And I think, like, the patience of Jesus here has really moved me this week is just the idea that, like, we're always trying to figure out what's going on in our life. Like, oh, this is happening, that means that. This is happening, this means that. This is happening, this means that. And the disciples are like trying to do that. They're like, okay, you just said this, and this is what the Jews said, and so, so this is what you should probably do based on the inputs that I'm detecting right now. And then over here, it's like um, Thomas is like, okay, I hear what you're saying, Jesus, so I'm ready to go die too. And it, it's like Jesus could easily be like, None of you have any clue what's actually happening right now. Like, it will take, this will be written down later, and you'll see how all the pieces fit together. But in real time, you are not tracking with what is happening. Jesus is like, I know what's going on. You guys are like on the struggle bus. And you're kind of getting what's going on, but you're not really getting what's going on. You're, you're, you're kind of like going, okay, we'll step back. Oh, no, you want us to go? And then when they want to go, it's like in the wrong direction. And, man, I just, it doesn't mean like we are always clueless about what's happening in our life. But I think part of believing Jesus and having life in his name is being like, Jesus, I know you. I trust you. I love you. And I'm not sure I can quite trace right now what, how all these things connect. I don't know if I quite know what you're doing around the bend and if I guess, I may guess incorrectly because they're misfiring here, but I, my eyes are on you. I'm watching you. I'm following you as you lead us in this moment. And it would stretch them. Like, it would be a lot more stretching for the disciples to be like, okay, does he know they're going to kill? Oh, yeah, he knows that. Okay, I don't have to inform him. He's aware. Uh, does he know this about what happens when someone goes to sleep? They actually wake up. Is he aware? Oh, yeah, he is probably aware of that. He designed that whole system. You know, like, you could go down that road, but it's like, okay, Jesus, you know, and you want us to talk to you, but, like, stretch me as I get in step with you. Verse 17, now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. 
But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Beautiful statement. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Which is once again a very theologically correct statement. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in him shall never die. Death will never be the end story. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. Here we see the, the confidence of Jesus in the land of death. You know, death is such a hopeless enemy. People say that, like, Alexander the Great was the, conquered more of the world faster than anybody else did. Alexander Great, when he was in his 30s, no army was able to stand against him. And there was one enemy that he could not defeat, and no one was ever able to defeat. And the enemy that defeated Alexander the Great was death. Death is always the last enemy that no one can defeat. Even the greatest, Alexander the Great, couldn't defeat death in his 30s. And then you have Jesus in his 30s being the far greater Alexander the Great. And you see that death is not a hopeless enemy to Jesus. Death has been victorious over every human. And Jesus is walking towards a man who's been dead for four days. And he's speaking about how Lazarus is going to rise up. And all that Martha could imagine is like, yes, one day. She knows he will rise one day at the last day, but Jesus adjusts her thinking. Jesus corrects her by confidently saying, I am the resurrection. I am life. That's who I am. Martha, do you believe this? Like, do you believe that everything, everything that could ever need to happen to undo the most hopeless situation is actually in a person and that person is walking towards a tomb at this time. And she says, yes, I believe this. I believe that you are the one that you say you are. Then verse 28, when she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. I've looked at this passage carefully, and in the passage, we never see Jesus call for Mary. So Martha could be lying and just being like, hey, you need to talk to Jesus. He's calling for you. Or he did call for her, and you know, it just isn't in the text here. But, um, but Martha tells Mary, the teacher is here and is calling for you, which I think he was. And then verse 29, and when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, which she had previously done, you know, to wet his with the costly perfume. She fell at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping 
and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Death is such a horrendous aberration. Like, death is not the design. Where death entered the human story was at the time when Adam and Eve sinned against God. Because what sin is, is actions against God or actions away from God. So sin is actions away from God's design. So when Adam and Eve separate themselves from God, they separate themselves from the source of life. When Adam and Eve separate themselves from God, they separate themselves from the source of life. Death became a part of the human experience because separation from God became a part of the human experience. So here, we see that life itself, Jesus, the creator of life, the creator of of our world, the creator of us, we see that Jesus is coming to kill death. He's coming to lead us to resurrection life, and he weeps at the reality of sin's awful wage. Like, Jesus is familiar with how all of this played out. He's familiar with death. He's familiar with sin. Um, We believe strongly that Jesus was walking with Adam and Eve in the garden uh, before they sinned. So Jesus is well acquainted with all of these situations, and he actually came himself to right everything that had been wrong and to actually destroy death. But here, what I think is amazing is that he weeps. He, he doesn't like just weep because it's like, oh, I'm, I feel bad for them. I'll let them know that I can shed a tear for them. He weeps because like that's how close he is to us. That's how present he is, that he has the power to undo everything, but he also feels the depth of our pain to the point that he can just be so present with people who are weeping that he, he is weeping. He's weeping over what death has done. He's weeping over over just the pain of death. And that's his mission is to undo it. And he knows the depth of it. He knows the depth of the the brokenness of of this world. And um, his tears, man, they should be our comfort. His knowing our pain should be our comfort. He can fix it, and he also is not aloof. And they think his tears are weakness. They're like, well, if he was really strong, he, this would have never happened in the first place. And he is completely strong, and he is weeping because he, he loves us. And um, th- this reminds me, when I was in seminary, I was in my 20s, and part of, um, part of the kind of prerequisites for seminary was that the degree program I was in, we had to have five courses in Greek like in the Greek language, and you, you could do more courses if you were like majoring in that, in that for, it was a master's degree level stuff, but we had to take at least five courses in Greek, and I was in my 20s, but I met a guy who was in his 50s, and his name was Mike, and I just fell in love with Mike, just a really sweet man, but in his, uh, in his adulthood, he went totally blind, 
And I was the designer of the, the website for the school I, I was at. That was kind of how I paid my way through and stuff. But Mike, one of the ways, ways we met was he was the web designer of his church. Volunteer. He volunteered as the web designer of his church, and he was totally blind. And I was just like, I have no clue how you do that. <laughs> you have all of my respect that a guy who is completely blind uh, walks with a, you know, with a, with a, a pole thing that he... Um, that he designed the website, you know. And so then um, Mike was in Greek class with me. And I just remember being blown away that Mike had to learn Greek in Braille. I was, I was on the struggle bus learning Greek and English in like my native language. You know, I was with people who were learning, who were Russian, and they were learning Greek through English. So they would have to translate first from English to Russian to then figure out what the teacher is saying about Greek, you know. So like all of the people who English was not their mother tongue, I was blown away by them just in general. But then Mike was learning Greek in Braille. And I just was like, you have all my... And every course got harder and harder and harder. And we were getting up to where we were translating the book of John. And um, Mike, Mike wrote about this later in articles and stuff. But he was translating through Braille the book of John, and he was at a verse that he just couldn't figure out how to translate it. He was like, I'm trying to find where the subject is, where the verb is, the, what the direct object is, you know, and he just couldn't figure it out, and he was starting to lose hope, and he was just like, who do I think I am? Like, was, you know, the joke's on me. I can't learn Greek. Like, this, this verse makes no sense to me. I, I just, what am I doing here? And it finally occurred to him that it was verse 35. And he had started crying because he felt like God had abandoned him. And he just, there was no way he could learn Greek as a blind man. And he realized as he was crying that he was struggling because it was the shortest verse in the Bible. And it was hard to translate because it was just two words. And it was Jesus wept. And what I love when he tells that story is that he instantly realized that God was with him. He instantly realized, like, Jesus is with him in his tears. Jesus, like, understands the brokenness of all of this. He understands the pain of it. Even when he is capable and he is here to fix it, he still is in it with us, in our pain, in our struggles. And, um, man, that's, that's, like, Mike's story comforts me. And I just pray that, like, Jesus' tears would comfort all of us. Then verse 38, then Jesus deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, a stone lay against it, and Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? And man, this situation is just hopeless. You know, like for Martha to kind of be embarrassed probably when Jesus says, like, move the stone away, and to just kind of be like, hey, we're all grieving here, and the moment for God to do something has passed. If God was really going to do something amazing, it would have been four days ago. The moment for God to work is gone. Um, but was it a look that Jesus gave Martha? Was it a way that he said this to Martha? Um, was there a lot of doubt here? Um, but those who are there, they take Jesus at his word. They actually do what he's asking them to do. 
and man, they, they trust that they will see the glory of God. They trust that they will feel the weight of Jesus alive and well in this situation. Verse 41, so they took away the stone. Jesus lifted up his eyes and he said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. The resurrection and the life only needs to speak. He spoke the world into existence in Genesis 1. He speaks worlds into existence and he speaks and Lazarus and I mean if you, it, you know, we don't even have to be medical doctors here to recognize all the things that would need to happen to undo everything that has happened in Lazarus' life and for Jesus to be able to just speak that. He doesn't have to get anything out of the truck. You know, he doesn't have to get anything. No items are needed here other than his voice to say, Lazarus, come out. And all the impossibilities around that, Jesus enters the situation and makes it possible. He makes the impossible possible. This is his compassionate power. This is his compassionate power to define any situation. A situation that we've even already defined. He gets to define the situation. This is how Jesus can step into the most hopeless situation and turn it around. Hopeless relationship. Most hopeless situation that was like, man, the time for God to answer that prayer was a long time ago. This is why coming to Jesus is the most important thing any of us can do at any time. Coming to the resurrection and the life, even when it seems too late. And we'll continue next week to see what happens after this. But I think this week, this is the one that is inviting us to believe in him and have life in his name. And this is how he defines life. And this is how he defines for us to live in this broken world in the midst of this life. And would this life giver, resurrection raiser, death defeater, weeping warrior be our victorious savior today? Would each of us come to Jesus, the resurrection and the life? And one way, and I think in our community groups will put a lot of flesh on this, like what are ways that that looks like in our lives? But I think even like right now, just for us to ask him, like, Lord, what does it look like for you to be the resurrection and the life in my life right now? What are the areas that feel long gone that it's like, man, he's just getting started. He's letting this get to here, so he will do this here. And, um, and yes, like, he is going to raise everybody. And those who have put their trust in him that have been gone for hundreds of years Will, will be more alive than they've ever been alive before. There's, there's so much that we could talk to here, but right now, like this is the one saying, come to me, believe in me, and have life in my name. And so if you're here right now and you have not put your trust in Jesus as your Savior, if you're like, I don't know where I'm at with Jesus, this is a great time to know where you're at with him. Talk to him about that. Invite him to change you. Um, taking communion is a, a an incredible thing that we can do. Those who have given our lives to Jesus, who are walking with Jesus, we'll have a couple people. Who, yeah, the, the McCords will be serving communion today. And Jesus designed this for us to commune with him. Just as Martha came up to Jesus, just as Mary came up to Jesus, that this is, 
Jesus' way for us to tangibly commune with him. And uh, uh, the way that we do this here is that TJ and Kaylin will, will uh, tear off a piece of bread so you can walk up with your hands like this, and they'll say, this is the body of Jesus given for you. And, and we'll, we'll eat this bread, and it's signifying like, like his life, the kavod, the, the glory of Jesus is, is on me and is in me, uh, then, uh, then his blood that was shed for us, defeating death, his resurrection defeated death. And man, like this is an incredible time every week for him to just fill us with his life and with his presence. So I would encourage you, if, if you are desiring to put your trust in Jesus for the first time, Man, you don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to give any money. You don't have to do anything other than just tell him that. But I would love to talk to you about that and lead you into that as well. Uh, then for those who have given their lives to Jesus, um, let's spend some time meeting with him, and then let's come and take communion, and we'll come down the center aisle like this, and then go back to our seats, and then remain standing with the elements, and we'll take it together as family.